Hello and welcome to the No Code SaaS podcast, the show where we talk about our experiences building software businesses without writing code. I'm Glenn. I am producing an app called No Code Kids, which is a learning-based system teaching kids at school all about the No Code movement and is built in Webflow. Hi there, I'm James. I'm running a SaaS business built with Bubble. It's a Shopify app that helps retailers collect customer feedback at every point of the customer experience. And it's I've got about 220 merchants now and just trying to keep on adding features and growing it each week. But yeah, that's been fun. Hi, I'm Kieran, also known as No Code Life on Twitter. My app, yep.so, is a super fast landing page builder and idea validation tool. And it's also built in Bubble. Cool. Thanks, guys. So this is episode two. Last week, we just introduced our ideas so people know who we are, what we're working on. Shall we start with just a quick rundown of what we've been working on since the last episode? Is that a good place to start? Yeah, I think that make, that sounds good. Okay. I'm going to volunteer Kieran to go first. Okay, great. Thank you, Glenn. So I... Yeah, I haven't done a great deal in the past. It was actually about two weeks, isn't it, since the last one. So I did do some marketing, which was, you know, that's a big deal for me. So I actually sent a couple of cold DMs to people on Twitter to community managers to see if they'd be interested in using Yep for their communities. I say cold. They're not really cold because I know these people. I've, I've DM'd them before and I've been on calls with them both, but... Still, it was just, you know, out of the blue DM. And they both they both seemed interested and they both said they'd be up for potentially giving it a try and they would get back to me, but then they didn't get back to me and I haven't chased them. So, but, you know, first first step is, is done. I also chased up on the community manager who definitely said that they were going to start paying for it. So I followed up and just said, oh, I've added some that you asked for, just as a kind of a little nudge. No reply from her. But I'm going to follow up on that as well. So I think it's just people, you know, forgetting to reply to stuff. And the good news is I got one new paying subscriber, and that was actually about an hour ago. And that's the first one I've had probably in six weeks. So (laughs) it's a big deal. I should add that I think I had at least one person churn in the last two weeks. So I'm, I'm netting out at zero. But it did feel good. And... Overall, just it feels like there's some, you know, I, I'm still getting good sign-ups. Well, I say good sign-ups. By my standards, it's like one or two people a day will sign up and quite a few people are actually using it, so that's that's good. And then in terms of features, I've been just building out the community features because I figure, like, if I'm going to focus a bit more heavily on community managers, then I need to give them as many features as I can, so I've been working on that and also just started to implement the unsplash api so that people when they're building their landing pages if they can't find images they can just like click on a a little button and there'll be a pop-up and they'll search and it will be all images from unsplash which is like a free images a royalty free images api and then they can use them immediately on their landing page so that was actually a feature that was suggested by one of the community managers who I'm trying to get to pay for it so I figure like I'll just keep bombarding them with features that they know they asked for until they're like okay we better pay this guy but yeah that's that was surprisingly easy to do so that's been a bit of fun so yeah that's me for since last time thanks Karen James how about you 
No, it sounds like you've been busy. Yeah, no. So yeah, I've uh, I've had one customer feedback call. So I have a couple of customers who I've set up kind of a private Slack group for. They're kind of like super users, and occasionally we get on the phone and talk through how they're getting on with the app, the features that they want, that kind of thing. So they had quite a few requests out the back of that. So I think one of the main things was at the beginning of the year, I did kind of an MVP version of a, of a video feature in my app that would let customers send in kind of video responses. And I really implemented it in pretty the most basic way possible just to see whether there was any demand for it. It turned out that it, a couple of people did start using it quite heavily. But because of the way the videos were being stored, I was just I was literally I'm literally just storing them in the, the bubble file store. If you've got a five minute video and you try and replay that back from there, it doesn't basically doesn't work. <laughs> it's like it's it's it just doesn't work when you try and put that into a web player. So one of the things I've done since last time is I integrated a video API called Mux that now all my files that all the video files that get uploaded into the app get sent to Mux to get rendered and uploaded onto their hosting and then I can replay it in the app and it's just like a YouTube video and it loads instantly. Um, so customer was really happy about that. I wrote about that in my newsletter as well. I kind of like was just breaking down how I did it because it was quite it was quite an interesting thing to work on. I implemented my new pricing. So pretty much since I launched the app, I've had a very I think very low price point to it and I think probably like a lot of people I was very nervous about increasing the price of the app for new customers uh, anyway I, I didn't uh, I've kept it the same for existing customers but I did implement quite a big rise in the, in the pricing given all the features that I've been adding over the last year I was quite happy to see there wasn't a massive impact on paid conversions so I think I probably had I don't know two maybe two in the last week or so but they, they like because the price went up from a base of nine ninety nine a month to twenty nine ninety nine a month. That's now like getting three customers at once. So I'm feeling a bit more like I can invest a little bit more in advertising, maybe because I was never I was just really struggling to justify paying twenty or twenty dollars to acquire a customer when they then are on ten dollars a month, and I'm only getting, you know, what, eight, nine dollars out of that. Even though the churn is pretty good, it's still cutting it fine. So that's 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 going quite well. Aside from that, a few other big features I've been working on that I've just been releasing over the last few days. So automatic discount code generation was something loads of people asked for. So when someone completes a survey I will go back to Shopify, generate a unique discount code for them and show that. Landing pages for the surveys, which was a, a thing that people asked for as well. Um, and yeah, I've just been doing lots of little tweaks based on customer chats, really. So, you know, when people message me through my little chat icon in the app, I'm pr trying to add little features here and there where I can as well, just based on what they're asking for. So yeah, no, it's been, been a pretty, pretty busy month and I've got a lot on my list for next month. Probably an interesting topic for maybe one of our future podcasts is I'm, I'm moving one part of my app out from being no code to be a, a coded, an actual coded bit because the performance so far just hasn't, 
hasn't been up to scratch for this particular use case. But it's quite an interesting dynamic. You know, there's 90% of the app is always going to be no code, but there are these little use cases where, in my case anyway, I felt I had to go out and get that actually done in code. So that that's going to be quite interesting to see how that unfolds over the next month as that's developed. But yeah, no, yeah, no, it's cool. been super good. So Thanks, how have you been getting on, Glenn? Yeah, good. Just just before we do that, I, I find that interesting what you're saying, almost like this idea of, you know, outgrowing no code and needing code. And, and I think that's maybe the wrong perception of these things, right? Because as you say, there's a, there's a performance gain or there might be some other kind of gain that you get from, from using code. So I think all of us always need to keep sight of of what we're doing here and that code is not the enemy and we, we always need to bring it in when it makes sense to do so. And the more you use no code over time, I think the more you realize how how they can sit together so well, right? There's, there's There can be a real synergy between the two. It's not either or. So I think that's a really interesting point you brought up. The other thing I just want to mention before I forget is that what I heard from both of you, which is really great is that you're both responding to your customers at the moment you're listening you're building features that they're asking for one of the questions i'd love to ask at some point is how we choose what to build and what we don't build based on feedback because you know you can be really really opinionated about your software and not really take a lot into account from your customers or you can build everything everybody asks for and you'll end up with a mess right so there's a balance obviously in there and i'm interested to to know in due course how you both approach that um, so yeah, moving on to me. So, so the Sonoco kids over the past two weeks, what we're currently we're currently in the phase of rebuild. So we're we're redesigning content, redesigning the website, rethinking certain audiences. So we've got we've identified I think we identified nine different persona that we could address, you know, target, which feels really broad. And we're just trying to figure out how to work with that. Have we just gone too broad with that? And actually, it should just be in school learning and at home learning? Or is it that, you know, we are actually addressing individual kinds of people's needs? So that's an interesting exercise just in itself. And we felt like that was necessary before we went ahead and just redesigned something or, or added more features or more content. We really kind of wanted to, to take a step back as we, we, we rushed into the first version, the MVP of this, and it's been a real success, but we, didn't really take the opportunity to do the strategic bit of the, the exercise. So that's what we're doing right now. Uh, really enjoying that, using things like Miro to, to map everything out, which is a great tool. It's great for collaboration as well. And just, yeah, stepping back from the, the coal face for, for a while, which is feeling really good. So if we can move on to other things, I mean, one of the things that I know, Kieran, literally this has been the past 24 hours or more, there was a great tweet that you were uh, you put out there, and I'm just looking for it now because I think it was a, a it generated a lot of interest. And this is about the fact that you've joined Daniel's Small Bets community. Do you want to just sort of introduce that because I think the the listeners or watchers will, will be really interested in what came about as a result of that. Yeah, <clears throat> so there's this guy on Twitter called Daniel Vasalo who he's only been. I feel he's only been on there for a couple of years, but he's amassed a huge following in that time. And his whole thesis is around taking small bets, so not focusing on one project, having multiple things on the go at all times. And, and he himself has, I think he made his first bunch of money from an AWS book or something, like an info product, and then he launched 
then from that he well he quit his job and made a fuss about it and everyone was like oh this is really cool this guy's like left a well-paid software development job and and is now living off an info product and then he made an info product about how to become big on twitter and then he started this paid community called small bets where he basically teaches people about you know his his way of doing things and how you can be financially sustainable by building this portfolio of you know small businesses or info products that bring in an income so i I joined the community because i just thought this really this meshes with kind of the way i do things which is like loads of projects on the go unable to focus um and the actual onboarding was yesterday i didn't i wasn't able to join it and I haven't watched the onboarding session yet, but this morning on the way to work, I was listening to the Indie Bytes podcast, and there was an interview with someone called Chris France, and he was basically saying the exact opposite, which was that you need to focus on one thing, and he doesn't know anyone who's doing this small bet strategy and is actually successful, and that if you... What was he? He used some crazy analogy about chopping onions or something but but yeah basically he was saying the exact opposite and so i tweeted that i've just heard him talk and i've i've read a lot of daniel's stuff and they both seem to be completely right to me they both make perfect sense so i'm really no further along than i was before Mm -hmm. but there were there were lots of interesting responses including from chris and daniel who got into kind of a little argument about it in the comments which was kind of funny to see but one of one of the ones that one of the responses i really liked was in ali i think his name is and he said he said it's basically you have to look at it based on your own personality and he said he definitely suffered from shiny object syndrome going from idea to idea without staying on one to see it to profitability and then so he decided to focus until he had something that replaced his income and by focusing on one thing he managed to achieve that goal um so that that was interesting because i've always thought of my ability to do multiple projects at once as a strength but Mm. he's actually saying he sees that as his weakness and that he needed to kind of discipline himself into focusing and he said you really need to understand your a single distribution channel so for him it was seo but whatever products you're building you have to also deep dive on the distribution not spread yourself out over multiple different distribution channels and that's what brought him success so i found that quite interesting but the rest of the comments it was it seemed to be more about kind of short term and long term like you know focus is great but if you're focusing on the wrong thing then it's it's not great so yeah there was no real right answer i felt i don't know what you guys think about it it's a it's a brilliant topic and one that comes up a lot, isn't it, James? I think. Do you want to go first and, and comment on that one, and I'll pipe in in a minute. Yeah, I mean, I can, I you know, I think I can probably relate to both sides of that coin. You know, I've definitely suffered from the shiny object syndrome, especially when you're starting out with something like Bubble, because it's so fun to go and build all these different things. But then I did actually make a conscious decision probably about, I I, I went through the, I I used this service called MentorPass actually, which is awesome. I had a load of sessions with these industry experts in e-commerce because I knew that was kind of where I wanted to work. And I did really decide that I've got to focus on one idea. I can't keep going through these things. And, you know, 
not getting traction or getting bored before I got traction or changing my mind or trying to come up with a new logo or getting obsessed with buying new domains, which is like, you know, it's fun, that part of it, but I was getting no... So I did I did go through that conscious decision to say, I've just got to focus on one thing. I cannot keep all these different projects in my head. But I think it's very much down to individuals. I think everyone does things in a different way. And it depends what you want out of it as well, I think. Like you were saying, Kieran, about long-term, short-term... Do you want to, you know, if you want to increase your knowledge about an industry, it probably makes sense to try out a bunch of different things and see what sticks. If you maybe are a little bit more specialised in an industry that you're going into that you're going to build an app for, you might be a bit more confident and say, I'm just going to try and focus on this one thing and make it work rather than trying several. Um, so it really, I think there's, yeah, there's no, I don't think there's any single right answer there. But yeah, from my, my perspective, I definitely... I find it, I've been a bit more focused just working on this one project and trying, going through a lot of iterations on that project and pivoting it several times, but just focusing on that, I found has has actually been better for me personally. Yeah, so it's almost like you two are kind of opposites in a way and yet trying to achieve the same thing and and the fact is you can both get there 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 is no right or wrong as you say james i mean i think the thing about twitter which is really interesting is how it it can polarize sort of topics you know it's almost like it has to be a one or a zero this or and people get heated about that because they 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 have a, a strong opinion about the way they see things and maybe other people's opinions are difficult to to swallow because it's challenging their their core beliefs, how they're living their life or how they're making their money or whatever it might be. So it's it's always really interesting. I, I really liked Rosie, uh, Rosie, Rosie Sherry's comment in that same thread, Kieran, because she said, um, I have a few small bets that have grown over 15 years. <laughs> Lots of this stuff actually just takes time or just comes with time. And I think that's where I fall, just to put my two pence, two cents in, is I feel very much like a lot of what we do is experimentation. And I don't have a huge vested interest in any one of them so-called succeeding. I think I get a lot out of just the process and that's enough. And then if one of these really feels right, it really feels like it's resonating for me, fits in with my purpose, which I think is key here. It's like, why are you doing this stuff in the first place? What's the purpose of all of this? And one of the, the posts that, that Mike Windells, Windells, Sorry, Mike, if you're listening. Posted here was Dan Coe's fairly recent tweet from May the 3rd. And Dan was saying, you know, if you feel lost, what can you do about that? And it's the same kind of thing, like doubt, feeling lost, handling risk, being nervous about these kinds of things. What if it fails? What if I don't want to talk about this for the rest of my life? Even uh, Kevin Chung just this evening has sent an email out saying, you know, does niche does niching down limit what you create online? Uh, can you actually niche down to talk about more topics and do more in that area as opposed to being worried that you're restricting yourself too much? So I think there's a lot of different similar conversations going on at the moment about this. We've all got the power to build anything. So what should we build? Why should we spend time on that and not that? So the, these are a whole almost existential questions that are coming up now as opposed to what tool can I use and will it work and will it scale? We've kind of moved on to phase two almost of, of this no-code movement. That's my personal view on it. And, and I very much like to to just go with it, run with it, see what works, what doesn't work. Obviously validate as much as possible. But 
yeah, also use your, your, your gut instinct and, and what fits with you from a, from a purpose point of view. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it, people shouldn't get too hung up on that, you know, this concept of failure. <laughs> like, I don't, mm. I don't really think there is such a thing as failure when you're building something that you enjoy, you enjoy building it, and you're learning throughout that process as well. Like, if you, if it's not, if something's not worked, that's not a failure. And, I, mm. you know, I think we're all probably guilty of being worried about what people on Twitter think about us or whatever if something doesn't go well. And I think the thing is no one's really thinking about any of us, really. Like, everyone's got their own stuff going on. So, like, you've got so little to lose from just, you know, going out there and trying to do something and actually create something. Like, so I, I really think it's, yeah, it, try not to get too hooked up on this idea of failure. I've failed at tons of stuff with building in no code but actually each failure led me onto another thing and it's just like a, a journey really so i think the most important thing is is that whether people are doing small bets or focusing on one thing it's just that starting that you know a lot of people get hung up on that thing of oh i don't know where to start well actually just start something in whatever way works for you but just actually you know get on that on the treadmill <laughs> And what's your biggest worry, Kieran, when you when you take on small bets and you, you, you have multiple projects on the go, what's the thing that, that makes you think, should I be doing this? Am I spreading myself too thin? Is is it about wasting time or, or not earning money? Or what's the, what's the key thing, would you say? Yeah, it's about wasting time. I mean, time is the thing that is most limited for me. And I do, you know, I've been doing no code now for two and a half years. And I have, you know, I've launched probably 20 plus pretty big projects during that time and most of them have kind of faded into into nothing so the, listening to the podcast it was quite eye-opening and it actually did make me think i need to i do need to focus more because the thing about having multiple things on the go is it's very easy to make an excuse that oh these aren't taking off because i just haven't given them enough effort because I'm spread a bit too thin and they might take off in the future and you're not really getting you never get to that point where you say right this isn't just what this isn't working I'm going to kill this one and just continue focusing on the other ones and I think there's a real danger that I I do just continue making excuses and I'm like well yep hasn't really taken off yet but is it because I'm not doing enough because I've got all these other projects and just use that as an excuse never to actually try and move the needle which I know I will so I think it's I think it's a lot to do with your personality, and I know from my early days in no code when I was launching loads of stuff, and it n nothing was going anywhere, but people were excited about the launches and the the, the stuff I was building, and that you know that helped me to build a, twi a Twitter audience. So I don't regret it, and I learned a hell of a lot about using Bubble and and other tools as well. So that was a really good period, but I feel like I've almost exhausted what I can get from that kind of constant launching cycle, and now I'd really like to you know as i am learn marketing and actually focus on you know one or two things and and yep really i think should be the main focus whether i need to pivot or not i think it's the one that's got the most interest and other stuff can go along with that like my growth lessons newsletter is all about me learning marketing and i don't want to give that up because every time i interview a founder i'm learning so much that it's it all plays into the same kind of flywheel but then there's some other stuff maybe like my job board that is just 
so completely incidental but you know i can leave it in the background but just not actively work on it so so yeah it definitely made me think i need to i do need to focus more so i, I think i'm going to try it for the next few months i, I would definitely recommend watching not watching listening to dan Coe's podcast that i actually listened to this morning because he was talking exactly about this and about how as you go along the way you're you're experimenting you're doing these things you're that they're all adding to the the pot and you get to the point where you don't even know how that's going to be useful yet but ultimately it just all starts to come together and then things start to go a little bit more on autopilot because you've got all the different tools not no-code tools but all the different sort of assets and and knowledge and experience at your fingertips to be able to just turn something around quickly and do it with some confidence. And I think it's a, I'll send you the link. I'll put, I'll put the link in wherever we're posting this podcast as well. But it's, it was just, it was just a really, really fascinating listen because I think Dan really speaks from the, the heart as a, as a sort of solopreneur. And he, yeah, he, he's really hitting on some, some sort of human facets of what we go through as, as as founders or solopreneurs not just you know the the practicalities and the money and the building and the marketing but actually what what's this to do with me how how's this how's this affecting me and what am i bringing to this and it, i just think it's a, it's a it's a really interesting take on all of this one of the things i just want to close on this topic if, if i may is this this idea that if the purpose that you have is to make money is that going to sustain you long term i think that's one of the things that i ask myself and i i chose consciously not to just do the most profitable thing because i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing if i was just trying to do the most profitable thing so is it about survival making making enough money and growing a business and having a lifestyle business or growing at a particular rate that suits you and your your family and your situation or is it that you're after after the 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 growth from a kind of startup mentality point of view so yeah i think that's something we all need to ask ourselves as well yeah absolutely and one thing that just came to mind um about a couple of years ago in the news there were there were some articles about this research study that some people had done trying to identify why it was that some creative people had like what, what did they call it it was like a period of excellence in their life and you can have it at any point in your life some people have it in their 20s other people have it in their 60s or 70s they suddenly have this period of a few years where they just churn out amazing work after amazing work and they, and they were looking at you know lots of artists and the example the main example I remember is Peter Jackson and how he he uh, did, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which is one of the greatest films or a group of the greatest films of all time. And what they found was that one thing that all these people had in common was that they went through a period of wild experimentation before a, a period of extreme focus. And they said, and they kind of, they ran the numbers and they worked out that you need both of these things to have that period of excellence and peter jackson i think was doing like all kinds of random films zombie films and all genres and none of them were particularly good but after that he immediately then focused on lord of the rings and absolutely nailed it and they said that this is like common in these situations so that that really i think made me think yeah i need to learn to focus now now that i've done this experimentation unfortunately that was almost two years ago that i read that and i i mm. <laughs> didn't implement it but i'm doing it now 
Is it, have you have you read any or, or seen any like the TED talk or so on of, of Stephen Kotler and his what he calls his flow states training? Which is one of the things that I think again is 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 really fascinating to listen to and to see how it can apply to you because it's, it's kind of what you're talking about is how can you get yourself to that to that flow state where you can consciously get yourself into it as opposed to just sort of stumbling into it enjoying it while it lasts and then it's gone and, and you don't know how you had it in the first place and so i think this this sort of biohacking kind of understanding of neuroscience is is helping us actually see how we can operate in the world and how we can increase performance and and so on so yeah it's a fascinating area probably probably a, a a show all in its own in its own right and the one last thing i wanted to say there was one of the things about about doing the spread of small bets which wasn't as popular before but has become popular definitely recently is this idea of just being able to sell that that micro SaaS or that SaaS business right so if you've built it up to to have at least some revenue and you can show that it is promising and it's healthy and it's going somewhere but you just don't want to take it there you can sell that on right is it, is it micro acquire and other sites like that can actually support you in in handing that off and actually making making some money i don't know whether either of you saw sam thompson at the weekend whether you follow him and he does these sort of speed builds so he was doing this new SaaS idea, speed build at the weekend, and he's amazing. He's so fast, but that's an extreme that you could actually create and launch a brand new SaaS business over the weekend that is, is is profitable. But if we can all aspire to something like that, you could actually build these things, build them up and up, and then pass them on, sell them on, and somebody would be happy that you've done all that groundwork for them, and they'd be happy to pay the price to to buy that business. So, just another avenue there that we. With, I'm seeing people talking about more and more. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, anything else that we've seen recently that we want to talk about today? Well, one thing I've been thinking about recently was how I decide on what idea I'm going to work on, and coming up with with SAS ideas. And I'm I'm more and more. I mean, back in the day, like a few years ago, my business ideas were there were many of them and they were all just absolutely wild random things that i'd come up with just you know from any walk of life anything i see i'd be like oh there's a business in that and now i've just become so much more focused and i will immediately jettison most ideas i have which i think is a really good thing because otherwise i could have seriously got shiny object syndrome it was it was bad but now i'm getting more and more like even even things like Yep, which, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I think it's going quite well, but I'm starting to look at markets where, you know, I should be choosing the market first. I should be choosing markets where people have money or they're making money. So Yep might be completely wrong because it's kind of focused on indie makers who might not be willing to spend money because at the moment it's just like a dream, you know, it's kind of aspirational and they're all they're already in a job and this is they're just looking into it and maybe they'll never actually go through with it because entrepreneurship is really hard so i'm I'm thinking should i just be focusing on markets where i know they're making money and i know they're already paying for tools which do almost exactly what i'm making and should i just make something like a clone of something basically but slightly more niched down i don't know what you guys think about that it seems kind of a bit machiavellian to go that way but it does make more and more sense the more i think about it 
Yeah, I think there's absolutely no shame in, in in launching a product in a market that already exists and has several competitors. I mean, if anything, it saves you the time of validating that people will pay for that thing. Because I think uh, I've made apps before that, you know, were very, I thought, quite innovative and new, but actually it was... You know, it was something that didn't exist in the marketplace already and I didn't have the resources to market that and explain it to people why they ha should pay money for that. So I think there's a lot to be said for doing something in, in a pre-existing market and, and like you said, doing it, niching it down or doing it slightly better, improving the UI a lot of the time. A lot of apps that are pretty awful to use and if you can just make the whole thing easier to use, that in itself is a differentiator and that's enough to win customers so yeah i think there's there's definitely a lot to be said for building an app in a in a, in a pre-validated market really i think i would add to that that we can benefit from frameworks that are out there experience from other people that have gone through this and over the past two weeks i think i shared with you both this youtubers tk kader who talks about go-to-market strategy and he focuses in on that. And I, I really liked what, what he was saying because he's, he's bringing together concepts that you can actually use, you can apply to your assessment of whether you should be doing this or not. So he has topics on here like, let's have a look, playlist to watch next, scale and grow your SaaS startup with an unstoppable go-to-market strategy, create and execute an unstoppable strategy for your startup, quitting a job and starting a SaaS business. I mean, all of these things sound quite generic, but he, he goes into quite specific ideas, which actually help you to determine whether or not this is something you should be doing or not. One of the other videos that, that I saw of his, which which I, I think I told you about, Kieran, was this was this idea of what, what KPIs should you be monitoring? So even, in the, even from the outset, in the early stages, what should we actually be tracking and monitoring to gauge the success of this business is is it is it viable are, are you actually is it just an expensive hobby or is this something that actually is is a business and an expensive hobby is perfectly fine but if you if you want it to to grow and pay for itself or worse you know you don't want it to, to cost you money then we need to be doing that kind of level of digital marketing and just general business tracking as well and that's the sort of less for, for a lot of people, the less sexy side of, 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 a, of a SaaS business, I think, is, well, how do we, how do we monitor it and, and engage its, its worth and its success? How do you both feel about, about that side of what you're doing? Are you, are you excited by tracking KPIs and, and, uh, and seeing how it's there? You talk about churn, for example, but there are at least sort of half a dozen to a dozen metrics that you could be putting together to, to really assess the yeah, the worth of you. Yeah, I mean, fr from my perspective, I do quite keenly follow all the analytics in in my app of everything that customers are doing. It's pro probably partly because it's linked to what I do in my day job as well. Mm. But I I pretty much do. I had so I had a conversation on Twitter this week actually with some with someone about how I monitor what customers are doing in my app and decide when I'm going to rip a feature out because not enough people using it and at, at the stage my app is still at where it's quite early and it's not got thousands and thousands of users actually using the software side of it i actually still sit and watch pretty much every session with a session replay tool of everything that people do in the app and i will sit there and watch everything 
and the amount of, of small little UX things that you find that need fixing or the fact that people are not using something in the way you intended or they're not using something at all, rather than pouring over tons of analytics, I mean, the only real things that I look at at the moment are installs and revenue and number of customers on each plan. I don't really go much further than that. And I really just look at these replays to see what are people doing, what are they using, where am I there's my UI obviously confusing people and that's where I found I can, I can make really quick quick gains in the, mm -hmm. in the in the kind of user experience with, with the benefit of doing something in bubble I can go and fix something a flow if it's not quite right I will fix it then and there because watching watching those sessions back where people are struggling it makes you cringe sometimes because you're like oh this is so bad like how did I ever do it like that but then you know well, I'll have that fixed in five minutes and it won't happen again. So um, it's, uh, yeah, for me, I think it's probably that more kind of qualitative type of looking at the customer experience that I, mm. I get a lot out of from doing that. There's low-hanging fruit, definitely, right? You, you, can, you can see that quite quickly to make a big change and it can affect that, that conversion rate. Yeah, interesting. And Kieran, do you, do you feel like it's, there's a, there's a point at which these kind of things perhaps are, are really important and you see... The, the people that build in public on Twitter talk about their their stats quite readily once they're making a bit of money, but it's sort of less so early on, sometimes through embarrassment, sometimes just because they don't know what they're doing yet. Do you think there's a point at which things like Bear Metrics and Chart Mogul are, have their place, but too early on, it's just overkill? Well, I'm, I'm terrible at all this stuff. I'm absolutely awful. I, I usually forget to put Google Analytics into any of my projects until it's way too late. I have no idea what people are doing in YEP other than from Logsnag, I get the occasional notification saying someone's signed up or created a page, which makes me feel good. But yeah, so I just have a very kind of finger in the air feeling of what people are doing and I need to get better at it. There's no doubt in my mind that this data is extremely useful and important and any large company would have people whose job it is to pour o over this data and advise the product team so yeah just listening to james then i'm thinking i need to install whatever software it is he's got on his app and be watching back user sessions because yeah it's all guesswork at the moment and i'm sure there's tons of stuff that could be way smoother and way more intuitive for people and that's yes i need to start doing that I guess I should probably name drop a couple of those apps in case people are interested. Yeah, there's, there's probably three main platforms that I would check out if you want to do the, the session recording and product analytics. Probably the newest one, which is getting a lot of adoption, is Microsoft Clarity because it's totally free. So it gives you heat maps and session recordings that are all anonymized, so you won't know what user, what customer it was necessarily. And then the other two are Full Story and Log Rocket. And I think they both give you about a thousand sessions a month for free, which in for my use case and a lot of other people who are getting started, thousand sessions a month is absolutely fine. And to be honest, you're not really going to sit through and watch a thousand anyway. So any of those platforms I think is a, almost a must have. I wouldn't, I couldn't have it without it because I've fixed so many things that I would have had no idea about. And I test the app like very thoroughly, but you just can't predict what people are going to do, and that, that really does help you discover stuff. That's great. Good, um, good I feel sorry for those guys that Microsoft has come out with a free version. <laughs> That's just your worst nightmare, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, so I think we'll we'll talk about that more in the future, I'm sure, about maybe what we could do is is try some of these things out here and if your game is, is maybe install some of these things, see what see what an early user, a first user sort of experience is of a tool like that. Because there'll be a lot of people listening to this that are in exactly the same boat. Ne- never gone near this stuff that you don't know what you don't know, right? So if you've never had to do this before, how do you know you need to install this app? How do you know what benefit it's gonna give you until somebody comes along and says you should try this. You know, it, it, it's not easy to, to know what you should even be installing. Google Analytics is getting a lot of heat at the moment because of its PR non-compliance. You even get some analytics companies saying that if you're using it, it's illegal. GA, GA is illegal, you know, so it, they're really going after them. And anonymizing or pseudonymizing, which I can never say, is, is a way of, of doing this. Having a, having a platform that can actually assign a unique identity to somebody but not necessarily tie it to a piece of personally identifiable information you know these kind of tools are are now all out there one of the ones i'd like to give a quick shout out to is heap heap is more suited to the enterprise but james a bit like your tool you know you've got a really healthy free tier to make use of and what it can do for you is track clicks basically behavior going on within the app so we use it in noco kids we actually do tie it into an email address because we, we want to know exactly who's doing everybody knows we're doing this you know but it's none of this this information is available to anybody outside the organization and it really is just to track progress on on a on a on a, on a program on a on a course you know so heap is a, again really really flexible really powerful like way too powerful to the point where it can be a bit daunting at first but one of those products that's really worth looking into some people talk about um what's it called a segment and mix panel and i've i've played with mix panel before to be honest i feel like it's a different product to what it used to be i personally don't enjoy it anymore when i try and use it it doesn't make sense to me anymore it used to and now i, I find it confusing heap just seems to have done away with that confusion and it's it's much more straightforward you need to know a little bit of javascript and it helps if you can use something like Tag Manager because Tag Manager is a great sort of script tracking and facilitation tool to, to actually help you with doing all sorts of things. So that's sort of my hot tips for from an ex-digital marketer and e-commerce person. Well, I think we're just about reaching our time today. If there's, I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to talk about or whether we can wrap it up there. I think that's good. I think we've got a couple of topics to follow up with on our next episodes. There's definitely a few things that's got my mind going. So, yeah, no, I think there's a lot more we can dive into next time. Yeah, same, same. Looking forward to hearing the updates next time, and I'll definitely be following up on some of these action points. Fantastic. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time.